From the D of the Dope House to the D in PhD. Our next guest recovery trail included early life problems with substance abuse and hanging out in party houses. Then it was off to school, dropping out, the wrong boyfriend, psych wards, school again, and finally a treatment center where recovery meetings opened her eyes. She found herself tired of getting kicked out of everything in life. So she decided to start listening and take action. Scholar, academic, recovering alcoholic and addict, and artist. It was through creative expression that Mary Kay Riley finally found true authentic passion, art, and permitting herself to use the expensive paint. (laughs) Where every day, even though she might be messy, she keeps showing up. Dr. Riley has a tremendous story to share, and it's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rockin' Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you, to always deliver straight up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe, stigma and judgment free zone. Recovery Talks right now. Welcome everyone to Recovery Talks, the podcast. And today's guest is Mary Kay Riley. Let me tell you a little bit about Mary. Okay. So get ready, Mary. I'm going to talk about you. Okay. So (laughs) Mary Kay Riley holds a PhD from the National University of Singapore, where she studied cross-cultural philosophy. After exiting academia, she began processing her experiences through art. She now speaks and writes on the relationship between art, philosophy, religion, and healing. Mary is a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, divorcee, failed academic, artist, writer, scholar of classical China, feminist Catholic, sourdough bread baker. I bet you're badass at that. Creative consultant and also holds a day job. Thanks, Mary, for showing up here today and doing this with hey, me. Hey, yeah. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me, bud. So I should, tell, I should tell our listeners that we cross paths in the recovery community, and I have always been taken by your spark and by your intelligence and wit and the way you casually use the language of clarity. And you talk intellectually, but you're also, I think, on the level where people can really understand if they listen. Um, so I'm going to talk you up some more here. So you got to sit back and listen to yeah. me talk to you much more. Okay. Knock yourself out. So Mary Kay Riley, also a PhD, serves as the Senior Director of Operations and Business Manager. CEGO for CE Learning Systems. As a research scholar at the National University of Singapore, Mary researched and published work considering different models of cross-cultural understanding and education. She has served as a Chancellor's Distinguished Fellow and a visiting scholar at the University of California, Riverside, and was a scholarship recipient at the Nishan Confucian Studies Summer Institute for Continued Research and Promoting Cross-Cultural Education in Shandong, and Beijing, China. So you spent a lot of time in Asia. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we could talk a little bit about um, how that affects those of us that are in the recovery community. But before we get started in that, I guess I want to just kind of say, how did we get here today? You know, we're talking together about recovery, right? And we're talking about, if you understand, if you've listened to this show, this show really is more about trying to hold and shine the light up on people that are lighthouses in our community, uh, people that have made it 
And we like to tell people, guess what? It's not necessarily all green lights in the recovery world. You know, there's an awful lot of flashing oh God, lights. No. You know, <laughs> dogs barking, 3 a.m., somebody banging on the door, needing 20 bucks, rainstorms, flat tires. There's an awful lot of that. And I guess what I'd like to do is just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, tell me what was Mary's life like when Mary was still out there as an alcoholic and addict. I feel like it's so uh, funny. I, I'm always like, I'm not I'm not necessarily the guy the newcomer wants to talk to because I'm like, listen, now that you're sober, it's not just a bed of roses, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't want to hear that when I come in. It's not what I needed to hear. You know, when, when I came in... Right. I don't know. I think I, I was like most of us, you know, I was, I was 22 years old when I got sober. I'm 37 now. So you can do the math, but um, I was 22 years old. It continually, I like to think I was real smart. So I was like that person who would be in the dope house. And I was like the only person in the dope house who had probably gone to college for a quarter you know, not that I even made it through, but I had gone. So I would talk about <laughs> how I was going to do this and how I was going to do mm, that. And right, people right. kind of would believe my bullshit, I think, to a point. But it was it. I mean, I always just, I was I was getting high. I was an alcoholic and, you know, I'm still an alcoholic, I guess. But, uh, and I just talked about all the things that I, I was going to do and how phenomenally great I was. And um, what a diamond in the rough I was, sort of undiscovered unique creature that if someone would just discover for whatever reason somehow I guess I would be fine but in the meantime it was like I would go to school a little bit I'd go to college a little bit and then I would drop out and then I would end up in a psych ward and then I'd get like an abusive boyfriend and then I'd move into a van and then I'd go to school for a little bit and then I would like drop out and and it was just it was like that and I always tell people it was like you know by by the end um by the end of my drinking I actually did like live by myself. I was sort of self-supporting to an extent. I actually forgot until the last few years that my grandma was sending me checks on the sly. <laughs> I only just remembered that. I, I sort of lived by myself. I had a job where I was working as a cook in a kitchen. But I mean, I, I just drank. I just drank all the time. I mean, restless, irritable, and discontent is an understatement, I think, for most of us, right? It was like every day I wanted to die. Every day I woke up, I couldn't believe I had to be here. I couldn't believe I had to do this again. And I would have to get up and I would have to go, you know, sort of exist in this world. And I was miserable until I got a drink. And then I got a drink. <laughs> I heard that phrase, sentence to another day of living, right? That's the way it felt. I, I just remember I was I was talking to some people the other day and, it, and somebody mentioned something about what it was like to wake up in the morning in my old life and how that felt, the terror and the fear and like sentenced to another day of life, right? When, when you were talking just now, I was curious to me is, did you get sober before you went to Asia? Yeah, or oh, was yeah. it after? Oh, yeah. Okay, I wasn't, so, I wasn't so, doing anything. I never left the same square three blocks when I was drinking. I mean, I so, wasn't going anywhere. How did, that, how did that work in the culture of where drinking time is considered social time? I, I, I've got like 500 questions I want to ask you about Oftentimes in certain cultures where drinking is considered, that's the relaxed time. This is happy time. Finally, drinking time. Markley-san, finally, drinking time, right? How did that work? But I guess maybe I'm getting the cart before the horse. So tell me about 
what it was like for you when you finally came to that moment. See, my drinking had three stages, right? First stage was, this is fun, right? I'm having a good time. The second stage was consequences started showing up. Like, what? What just happened? Problems with the popo? What? What? Uh, oh, 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 where's my car? Right? And then I started realizing there might be a problem here, you know? What how, what was that continuum like for you when you started getting to the, like, is there a problem here? For me, I always felt like it was, especially looking back, it just felt like quick and dirty. You know what I mean? It was like, mm. I always, before I ever picked up a drink or a drug, for some reason, somehow, like, deep within, like, you know, sort of like the gut of my soul, I knew that that's where I wanted to be and that's what I wanted to be doing. I saw the girls smoking behind school. I saw kids partying and I lied about it. Like as a, as a middle school aged kid, if you asked me if I drank, I would tell you yes. Not because I did, because I hadn't yet, but I wanted to. And I thought if I said yes, you would let me in. I mean, I wanted to party. Yep, yep, uh, yep. Right from the we wanted to be part of that tribe. Oh God, we yeah. Part of that tribe. I, 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 I call it the healthy disrespect for authority tribe. <laughs> I just wanted to be out to those kids that weren't saying yes to everything. And I don't know why. Yeah. And I guess that's probably a lifelong search. But for me, I just knew that it was cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was cool. Those kids, what they were doing, it was, I wanted to know about it. And I felt more of, a, of an attraction of magnetism towards the kids that were doing the dangerous things than the kids that were always doing the right things, you know? Well, they were having more fun. Why did you really yeah. the kids ever doing the right? Like, it's not even a question for me. Like, even still now, like that. I, like, think, I think it had a lot to do with the tribes that I was identifying with when I was growing up. So not to get into the and then, and then, and then, and then part of the story where, you know, and then and this happened and then this happened and this part. But at some point you found yourself in a place where the, the door was open to a new way of life. Tell me about what happened when you decided to get sober. Uh, I mean, I don't think I ever did. I, I never really made a decision like now's the time. You know, I had been to meetings before because I, I mean, I knew, you know, I, I'd been in psychiatric units and they're like, you should go to a meeting, bud. <laughs> and so I had gone to meetings and, and finally I woke up in a psychiatric unit and I ended up in a treatment center. I don't think that I was convinced that I was powerless over alcohol or drugs, but I knew my life was unmanageable at that time. I knew my life was unmanageable. And so it was like, well, you know, you're here, you're going to do this. So let's just, let's just see what it's all about. Let's just give it a shot. And, uh, you know, so I was in a treatment center and we had to go to meetings. And I, I mean, I was egocentric to the extreme. So it was like, I didn't want to sit with the other kids from rehab at the meetings, right? At like the outside meetings, um, because I was like so much better than the other people in rehab. <laughs> but the uh, the upside of that was that I, I just sort of started sitting next to some women who had some time and knew what they were doing. And they'd been sober a while and they told me what I needed to do. And I just did it and I didn't do it because I wanted to stay here. Like I didn't do it because I wanted to be sober. I did it because I was so tired of being kicked out of everywhere in my life. And I just didn't want y'all to kick me out too. So I just did it. And it was like, I I started going to meetings, right? And I started, I got a sponsor. And I started sort of doing the things that were suggested. And little by little, my life sort of incrementally got better. And it's not like... um, it got super better, super quick. So do, do you feel like maybe a, a 12-step program helped you 
supplant the tribe that you are missing or supplant the tribe that you're hanging with? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 12-step programs have been my tribe wherever I've been. I have moved around a lot since I have been sober. And, and one of the things that's always anchored me has been a program and people and a community to go to. And I don't even like it, right? Like you move somewhere new and I go to meetings and I have to do all this stuff where it's like, you got to shake people's hands and you got to get to know new people. And it's like, ugh. and it's so painful and it's so uncomfortable. And you know what? You just do it anyway. And all of a sudden it becomes okay. And you have people, you know, you have that tribe. In this podcast, you know, we, we don't, we try not to accentuate or validate any one way over any other way. You know what I mean? I mean, it's no secret that, that I'm involved in a 12-step program. It's no secret that you've just revealed yourself. And one, one of the things that I, I do like about that tribe is exactly what you said, that doesn't matter what city you're in. It doesn't matter where you go, you know? And people say to me, oh, dude, you know, really? There's going to be that crazy person, like like in church, right? That that crazy person that wears a coat in the summer and sings really bad. And once you, and when you see him coming to you, talk to you, you like run away. <laughs> or, or that person that likes to talk and talk and talk. And you're thinking, dude, if you'd have just stopped after four sentences, I'd have really listened to you. But now that you're at sentence 6,432, I'm not listening. So it's the same everywhere. It's no different. But what's good about it is like any other recovery program that is um, there's more good than not and if you're willing to be a part of it you can really get some benefit out of it you really can i have a, a, a few sort of thoughts on it like one is that community generally is important right like and and this is sort of part of my background as a scholar of classical china is the sort of spiritual nature of having a community to be part of and like that the idea that there's great spirituality among communion with other other human beings so i'm, I'm gonna move forward a little bit so you got yourself clean and sober it's like when you say that it's like the all of a sudden rainbows and unicorns pop up in my mind we're clean and sober it's beautiful it's sunday sun sunshine and i'm wearing a new clean shirt it's beautiful you know but the reality is it's not always that way. Tell me about your first few miles. That's what I want to hear about. When you got clean and sober, what were the first few miles like? You know what? I got to tell you, I was really that obnoxious person who got sober and things went really well, really quick. Really? You know? I can't so, imagine you being obnoxious on any I level. Feel like, you know, it's like, there's always yeah. that like one guy who's like, I'm like 30 days sober and my life is together and I've got it going on. I was like that for probably two years, like uh, like real obnoxious. I was real lucky because, you know, I uh, I was living in a sober house and they said, you know, you either got to get a job or you got to go to school or something. And so I think I put in an application at like the local food mart. And then I was like, I don't know, going to school seems easier. So I'll do that. <laughs> so I, I went to college and I finished up and then I just kept going all the way through. I went to school for a really long time and I did pretty well at it. Even when I was drinking, I said, I'm going to be a philosopher. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a PhD in philosophy. And, and that's just what I did. I, I did really well. Boy meets girl on a campus. I, I, you know, I started, I got married to another member of, of the program and, you know, I got this degree. Right, which is always <laughs> caution to us, right? Don't make big changes. And and one of the things that, that we get really funny is that you always get somebody pulls you aside and says, don't no matter what, don't date in a 12-step program. Whatever you do, 
don't date, right? So that happened. So, but what I really want to know, where I really want to go with this, because we are under, unfortunately, some time constraints, is okay. art yeah, and recovery. Well, you're heading in the right direction because, I mean, I'll tell you what, my early sobriety was, was pretty good. I mean, I had some challenges, but I was able to accomplish a lot. For a little while, I think I, I looked like sort of like a walking recovery success story in one of those obnoxious ways, like married, career of our dreams, blah, blah, blah. And functionally, I, I lost it all. You know what I mean? I That, that marriage fell apart. I ended up divorced. Uh, the career never worked out really the way that I wanted it to. Uh, I ended up sort of hightailing it. You know, I traveled all over the world. I hightailed it back to my home state of Ohio. And I sort of got hooked up with some people who were doing some cool things in art. And I I had this experience where functionally somebody, sort of an artist mentor of mine, gave me experience, gave me permission to get really messy with art and use that as a way to process a lot of those experiences. Were you working in art or expressionism before you got sober? Was that something you found post that? How did that work for you? What was that timeline? So after you got sober, you started in, into expressive arts. So after I got sober, I started an academic career path. And um, I was working you know, in academia within universities uh, doing research. You know, it was really not until I was probably... Honestly, I was like, my life fell apart like eight, nine, 10 years sober. They were the worst years of sobriety for me. That's what people don't see with our lives, right? Is we constantly in the community of people that are, are helping each other stay sober. We are constantly acting as bridges and crutches and helping people get back up again. You know, that's one of the things that's the best part about our community. So what I'm hearing you say is that expressing yourself artistically happened as a byproduct of the change of life as you went through different stages and all of a sudden I'm really curious to see how that happens see when people talk to me about I'm a musician everybody knows that as playing guitar there was pre-guitar playing not sober and there was post-guitar playing sober and I had a real transition to make a real transition to make to get my brain to start working again you know uh, and I was wondering if that was part of your process where you, you had to, you know, kind of make your brain start to work in a different way. Because I guess I assumed that you were art doing art before, but I'm hearing you say you weren't. So talk to me about, about your art because I really want to get to this. Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it was just like this opportunity, right? So I I think there's sort of like this built-in perfectionism that so many of us uh, just struggle with, right? And it's this analytic brain that has always been turned on as a a researcher and as an academic and just that sort of logical analysis, which really left very little room for sort of spontaneous creativity in my life. And what I found was that I was just really emotionally repressed and sort of logically analyzing everything and... And just going through a really hard time and sort of creating a space, you know, somebody did it for me, was helped me create a space where I could just be messy and I didn't have to be perfect. And I was granted permission to use the expensive paints, right? Because like, I don't know how to paint. I'm not creative. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, why would I buy myself the expensive stuff? It's just going to be wasted. I was given very little instruction. I mean, we think we have to be perfect to start art, right? It's like, I think I have to 
be a, you know, a skilled figure painter before I can even begin. And we don't, right? It's like, why do we think we have to know what we're doing before we even start? Why, you know, I don't need a PhD in expressionism to just put some paint on canvas and experience the way that feels in my body and be able to process my feelings that way. I don't need to be an, a Zen monk to be able to sort of sit mindfully and experience right. myself right. in these things. And that's what happened for me was that this sort of creative, this sort of mode of creative self-expression became a conduit for me being more present in um, my own body and my own experiences and, and sort of created space for me to process some of my feelings in these ways that weren't so analytical, right? It's like, I'm not trying to, you know, draw, draw a Venn diagram or create a logical analysis of all this stuff. I'm just feeling the feelings when I'm sitting here, um, sort of being creative and being spontaneous in this way where it's like, I don't have to worry about what the end product is. I don't have to sell this. I'm not even gonna sell it. I'm not even gonna try. You know, whatever. Is it gross? Let it be gross. Does your recovery practices make your way into, into your work? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think my experience, like the way my recovery has evolved then, right, is like being this sort of like good girl recovery community member where it's like, look at me, right? Like I did everything right and I got great relationship and the dream career and everything looks so good. And if you just do the right thing, you know, if you just follow this and follow that, everything will be okay. And it's not, and there's no logical reason, right? It was like, there was no logical reason why things didn't work out in this career field or things didn't work out with this relationship or things just generally were falling apart in my life. I was doing all the right things, all the things they tell you to do, you know, in recovery. And it just didn't work out. And so instead of trying to sit in that place of forcing it, you know, just trying to fix it, like fix my recovery, fix my sobriety so I can get the results that I want, just doing the next right thing, creating a space for myself to be messy and, you know, to feel a little unhinged in, in these ways that were like out of my head, right? They're not intellectualized, but they're sort of experienced in this, in this visceral bodily way. Help me to feel okay with myself. It was that experience of, of using these sort of creative modes of self-exploration to like come back home to myself and, and sort of be at peace with that. Tell me about something you've been working on recently. What what have you been working on? Where are you at? This is really interesting. Like with the pieces for the last few years, I've really had I've been really prolific. And what I loved was that, with respect to, I, I really have enjoyed offering workshops and inviting people in and and doing this kind of work with other people because somebody did it with me, right? I, I have a mentor who is an artist, mm -hmm. and you know she has helped me create this space and and you know technique is a byproduct of practice. It's not something we're born with, right? And she's helped me process my feelings and along the way I've worked on things like technique and I've gotten better at that. So I've I've really enjoyed doing that for other people, creating that space to be messy and, and just to ex, you know experiment, have fun with one's own sense of creativity rather than feeling like I've got to produce something perfect. And uh, so for me, it's, it's a real challenge, right? Because in pandemic times, it's like I have been so low on the creativity mode. You know, I have really had to force myself to just go up and be like, okay, I'm just going to spend five minutes in my studio. I'm going to spend five minutes. And inevitably, if I can spend five minutes, I'll spend an hour, right? The, it's the Anne Lamott thing is she, she says about writing, she says, you know, the two most important things are butt and seat. 
A and crap and crappy first drafts, right? Absolutely. Just getting it done. So for me, one of the difficulties I've been finding as far as creativity lately is that I just I'm stuck in routines of seeing the same things, smelling the same smells, doing the same things day in day out, and I and I'm trying to find new inspiration, and it's difficult because I'm not being exposed to enough stimulus, right? And you can read, and, and I don't know about you, but I can't stand to watch network TV anymore. It's just really really tough for me. I can do like maybe practicing scales in the morning. I might have it on to see the weather, but everything, the messages I'm getting to there just doesn't make me feel good. I don't like it, you know? So I'm, I'm having a tough time finding yeah. inspiration and stuff, but I am on well, the converse side of the pandemic and on our creative lives is I'm finding that in the 12-step community, I found a whole group of ways to approach that that I wasn't doing before. Being able to do Zoom things, right? And we're, you know, and and there's nowhere to hide, by the way, in a Zoom thing if you're doing a a recovery meeting because your face is right there. You can't be the guy that sits in the back in the corner by the coffee that leaves late, that comes early, you know, that does that stuff. It's really hard to do that, you know? So it's just so weird and I can't wait for it to be over. I, I, I don't know about you, but you also say you're working a lot. So that's that's great. I mean, you, the discipline you learned working through the recovery concepts, is it transferred over into other areas of your life, especially in your, in your arts and stuff like that? Because, you know, we really do have to practice every day. It is a 24-hour reprieve. Honestly, work is just like avoidance for me. <laughs> it's easier to work and mm. like completely dissociate from my feelings and just like pass the time than for me to go up and be present with, you know, me, myself and I and my feelings and my experiences and my thoughts and my body and my paint, right? Mm. Like it's a lot easier for me to, mm. to just work. Mm. So I, I guess I guess to speak to your question earlier, you know, what am I doing right now? Stuff I hate and, and that's okay. You know, I'm really okay with that. I have just been working on these big canvases. I hate them. You know, nothing seems to be coming together in the way that I think it should. I'm doing the same things that I used to do, but I'm not getting the the results that I want to get. And so I'll switch, right? Then I'll start working in these little books. I do these sort of little, we call them visual journals, where we alter um, books. I know, and then I do that until something weird happens. Just curious, what's so difficult about the big canvas? Is it scale? It's just there's so much that's got to happen there. It's just got so much there you can't. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience with music, but for me, when it's like art, it's like you know that zone, right, where you're creative and you're playful and you're just putting things together, and all the things are they're somehow coming together, and then they don't and they fall apart. But you kind of the ability to engage it with the spirit of curiosity and the spirit of playfulness with no much. Expectations. Whenever I do that, right, like great stuff comes out of it. And whenever I'm just sort of like, you know, it just feels like a slog. And I guess that's life, right? Like, I mean, sometimes it's 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 great when when I'm able to move through life with that spirit of creativity and wonder and just being present and you know observing what's happening. And then sometimes life is a slog and you just go through it anyway because what else are we going to do? You know, and so my art's a slog, and that's okay. I think for musicians, if we're in our head, we're dead, 
If I'm really thinking about what I'm doing, if I'm not to the point where the, the process is so transparent and I'm just really feeling it and I'm thinking about it, that's that's usually almost pretty transparent. You can tell the musicians that are that are really in their head when they're playing. You can tell. And the ones that maybe are, are, are feeling a little more free. So as we wind through this, I guess I wanted to ask you is, now that you look back and, and you can see where your life went from 37 to 22, I mean, that's a big span. I mean, you've, you know, almost been sober as long as you've been and you were, you know, probably longer than you were using. I right? have been. Yeah, yeah. At this point, I've been sober and longer that, than I was that's, I'll, I'll never live long enough to be able to say that, which is kind of interesting. The last question I like to ask our guests is, is if you could get into a time travel Uber and you could like say, call the dude up, Right, get it on your phone and say, okay, I want to go back to 22 and I want to see me. I want to run into me, right? And you could have a brief conversation with the and go, hey, hey, I'm you. I'm you 15 years from now. And you know what I want to tell you? I want to tell you this. What would you say? I mean, just keep breathing, you know, just keep breathing. It's going to get better than you could imagine. Because there's nothing I could have told myself to stop doing what I was doing. You know, I wasn't going to listen to anybody. But if, you know, you just keep breathing, keep putting one foot in front of the other. More than anything, you know, I think I hear that response of just, I, mean, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't listenable. I wasn't listenable. You couldn't have talked to me. I don't even think that's a word, but I, 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 you couldn't have reached me. Or I would have nodded you off mm-hmm. and said, yeah, man, yeah, man. Yeah, I know, right. I know. I really want to, yeah, I really... <laughs> I really, real. I really want this. I really want this. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And then I would have looked away, and with that scared, lonely look that I would have had, thinking, I don't have a freaking <laughs> clue how to get there, how to get right? there. And I needed it, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, what would you say? What would you say to other people that are that are beginning their recovery journey that are also in the arts? I mean, do you get a chance to be exposed to other people that are artists and that are starting their recovery journey? And, and I do keep in touch with a lot of artists who are in recovery in some form or another, whatever that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so many of us are on the same page about just like show up, right. just show up. I mean, that's it. Just keep coming back and keep showing up and just be open. Be open to being messy because it's okay. We're all messy, and uh, and just keep showing up. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Yeah, a good friend of mine says some days you just chop wood and carry water, and that's all you can get done. That's it. The basic minimum things: just open refrigerator, feed your body. You know what I mean. <laughs> Sit down, go to bed on time. You know what I mean? Put a clean shirt on if you can find it and just get through the day. And I, I, I can really relate to that, especially as we head into the, the depths of the, of the darkest winter here in Ohio. That, you know, it's, it's just this time of year, especially for all of us. I don't know when this, bro- this will be broadcast, but I can tell we're recording this in the mid of January in Ohio. And it's pretty dark outside. It's pretty dark outside and it can be really tough. But, you know, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for asking me. Willing willing to connect, yeah. you know what I mean? And and to share your story. And and I guess the last thing I say is is you can find Mary's writing. I want I want to hear about your website, but you can find Mary's writing on the Institute for Creative Mindfulness Redefined Therapy blog as well in the Christian Feminist Today and other outlets. And I want you to let us know where we can find you online. Just let us know. Please feel free to go to, uh, I think it's marykreillyart.com and you can see a collection of my writings, works, find information about workshops and, and all of that fun stuff.
That's awesome. Okay, well, thanks everybody for joining with us today and hanging with us for this edition of Recovery Talks. Hmm. Thank you again, Mary. Stay tuned for more episodes with more guests as we share our journey from the darkness to light. Until then, stay standing and steady on. We think, well, where's the logic in this? And there's really no logic in addiction. And there's no logic, especially in sex addiction. Dr. Philip Hemphill is the Chief Clinical Officer for Lakeview Health in Jacksonville, Florida. He talks about recognizing the disruptive behavior of sex addiction. Most people are recreational users of ideas related to sex and sex addiction. But there are a select group of people who have a tendency to have this compulsive nature where they're much more gonna pursue the power of, of the sexual acting out. You know, the recreational type person, they'll generally get kind of bored if they're looking at pornography, whereas the addict will really start to establish this pattern of unconventional behavior and pursue it. Hear the full interview and learn more at rockandrecovery.com. This has been a Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks. Raising awareness, removing stigma, and offering hope. Hi, I'm Garrett Hart for Rock and Recovery. It's the nightly radio show that offers upbeat rock songs and inspirational messages for people in recovery from addiction, trauma, and mental health disruptions. It's for families and friends as well. Rock and Recovery is broadcast every night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern at 91.3 FM in Akron, Ohio, and at 90.7 FM in Youngstown, Ohio. The show can be heard at thesummit.fm. You can also listen to Rock and Recovery on our 24-7 radio channel streaming at rockandrecovery.com. We've got a free app for your phone so you can listen anytime, anywhere. Everyone needs a little R&R. Rock and Recovery. Recovery rocks.